Hey there, welcome to the Creative Metaverse Podcast, formerly known as the Game Artist Podcast. My name is Ryan Kingsline, and I'm the CEO of Vertex School, where we train creatives for the career of their lives. In this podcast, we interview amazing creatives and artists working in film, games, and building the metaverse right now. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Right. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me. I have with me Timothy Dries. Am I saying that right? Um, yeah, sure. It's Dries, sure. but I'm not going to make a I can, issue No, I can it. try. I can try. I have to be like 100% American. I could, <laughs> I could try to be a little bit of a globalist. Uh, so um, you're at Ubisoft Berlin. Yeah, yeah, fairly recently. Um, I've only joined like two two and a half months ago so i'm fairly fresh but the entire studio basically only started this year so mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it's super exciting to be in a place where everyone is still getting to grips with like everything basically oh that's great that's great yeah. And, uh, yeah. are you are you from germany uh no i'm originally from belgium um oh, okay. but then for my first job we moved to the uk which was mm -hmm. um in cambridge i was working for frontier developments yeah um, working on games such as um, Planet Coaster and Jurassic World Evolution. Okay. And so, you're... Oh, no, keep going, keep going. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was gonna say, so you're um, you're an environment artist. Uh, mm -hmm. Is this something you went to school for? Is this something that you kind of self-studied? You know, how's this? How'd you develop this? Um, that's an interesting one because actually, the school I went to in in Kortrijk in Belgium, yeah. Um, the curriculum I was studying for basically teaches you every aspect of game development. So if you want to give it a name, you could be a technical artist. Mm -hmm. So in the first year, you have your general course to see if you really want to do this. But they give you programming, um, concept art, uh, 3D. They give you everything um, a game dev has to touch at one point. Okay. Um, and then the two years after that, um, they basically let you choose between different majors. So I, did, I took the art major, but it doesn't ever go specifically into environment art. Mm -hmm. But that was a thing that really stuck with me. And I, I love telling stories with, well, through the environment. And right. to be honest, I wasn't a big fan of doing characters anyway, so. <laughs> what yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right um so how this see this is an, it's an interesting dilemma i think especially for the students that i see like how when did you discover that you wanted to be an environment artist and was it before you went to school when you were in school yeah i've been thinking about this a lot because i have a lot of people reaching out to me as well saying like hey i'm interested in game dev but then they don't really have something specific they want to go for. And to be honest, I had the same thing. I went to this specific school because I wanted to do concept art. Mm -hmm. um, because I could draw a little bit because my grandparents could draw really well. So I had like this inherited artsy thing going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then when I went into school, um, got through some basic art lessons and got my first 3D lessons, I was like, oh man, this is really interesting. Then I 
delved into 3D and then I learned about environment art and it all sort of became like this journey that I went on and it was me finding out what I loved the most and then mm -hmm. sticking to what felt good. Got it. But it's, yeah, it's a weird dilemma because you, you can't really tell that to someone who who is in that doubt stage. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know where I should go. And part of it is, is how do you even know what it is? Because, I mean, if you look at environment art, you know, um, from my perspective, and I train for this, there's uh, world building. Um, environment artists have actually started to move into concept departments now with some of the tools that are out there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then there's prop and then there's, you know, sci-fi is one genre. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's super broad, right? Because mm -hmm. for some jobs, I I even replied to listings when I was looking for a job that had environment artists in the name. Yeah. But then that studio was specifically looking for concept artists that did environment art. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. I thought it was 3D only because that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because in this in this kind of environment where everything is constantly moving, I feel like in a couple of years there's going to be procedural environment artists or mm -hmm. not even environment artists by by that name anymore. It's going to be something yeah. else again. Yeah. Yeah, you're not alone in that. I've heard that word prop prop up crop up straight away. Say that uh, crop mm -hmm. up multiple times in the last six months. It's really actually been recent. You know, obviously mm -hmm. because of you know substance. Yeah. You know, yep. and that's kind of I think opened up people's eyes to the to the, the generative art kind of mm -hmm. approach because before it was procedural. I, like if you Google generative art, you can see artists using things like um. Uh, what is it, the language? Oh, like fractals. And... Yeah, and then and then there was this one, Sergio Albiac um, created these like very painterly um, but procedural imagery, images. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so this, you know, because fractals is what people immediately think, mm -hmm. but the, the computer is going to be able to do a lot more than we think. Yeah, know? yeah. It's getting to that point where... <sighs> I, I don't know. It's always fearful to say that you should be looking into the future and like teaching the procedural stuff to yourself. But I mm -hmm. think it's getting to that point where it's, it's becoming so strong where you kind of have to, Yeah. especially with, as you mentioned, like with substance designer and Houdini coming up really strong. Oh, Houdini. Yeah. That's such a beautiful, uh, Oh my God. Uh, it's a beautiful result. It's freaking uh, madness though. It's, that mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I've uh, recently jumped into. And even doing simple stuff like building a modular house mm -hmm. and just seeing the potential of that. It's just, it's just mind-blowing. Interesting. Walk me through that. What do you mean building a procedural house in Houdini? What, what makes it different than, say, let's just say Mac? Let's, so let's um, before this... Um, you would build like a, a modular package and then compose the house yourself, for instance, if you want to have yeah. um, a medieval town. Yeah. Um, you would build a package that you could just cobble together with like Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. But now with Houdini, 
basically does that cobbling together for you. And then you could have it as, as basic or as expansive as you want. And mm-hmm. then you could just basically change the seed. It generates a new house. And then if you, if you want to expand that, you can have entire cities generated like that. Okay. So what do you have to model? What do you actually produce? Um, that's the stuff I'm figuring out right now because mm-hmm. I've seen people do it all in Houdini, but I've also seen people doing stuff like this already inside of Blueprints in Unreal Engine, for instance, yeah. where they still model all the pieces, but then build a system that can um, build a house using the pieces that you modeled. And then they sort of make it slightly modular that if you if they have like um, a medieval scene Mm -hmm. they can use a pre-built asset package for that but then they can use the same system for any any kind of different scenario that you wish for that sort of looks like a medieval medieval thing not 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 going to the same well i guess if you build it in that way you could even have it generate um like 1950s New York buildings, for instance. Right. Okay. That sounds like some crazy stuff. We need to dig into that. But before we, you know, before we get sidetracked or anything, right now, today, what does your day look like? What do you, you know, what is it that you produce today that is, if somebody was to be get that job as, let's say, a junior environment artist, they would also have to be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is this is the the nice thing about being in the studio like like Ubisoft Berlin um that is so new and fresh that mm-hmm. basically my job involves everything from writing documentation to doing pipeline tests to doing level art yeah as well as doing um 3D pieces yeah so actual props mm-hmm. So there's there's the spectrum is so broad that it is it is really fulfilling like all the things that I love about doing environments. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my normal day, I think it's mostly going to the level art side where I sculpt the terrain, um, add biomes, um, well, which is done through Houdini again. So <laughs> um, I basically do some some dressing of the levels and environments as well. Yeah. And what does dressing mean? Um, Dressing is just telling telling a story, a visual story that Mm -hmm. if you go into a building and you see you see an open book or 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 anything that basically can indicate that there's a story happening. For instance, there's there's been a scuffle, so there's a um, some dirt on the table, a, a chair that's on the ground. You can mm-hmm. see some drag marks going outside. Um, stuff like that, basically. I love that. I love the way that you just said that because it is like telling a story. Uh, but mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure I've heard somebody put it clearly in that direction. Um, and so, you know, I, a lot of students focus on environments. Environments is a ton of work, right? It's, mm-hmm. yeah. God. It's just it always blows my mind. I mean, people are like characters a lot of work, but I I don't know about that. Environment. <laughs> um, yeah, how important it's, is set dressing? 
Oh god, yeah, really important because um, you can even see it in my work. If you go back to the earlier pieces, you can see that there's a lot of storytelling missing. Like if you take this scene, for instance, this is just a forest. Mm -hmm. There's nothing happening. It's it's nice to look at, but there's there's nothing really happening. There's no storytelling. Um, and that's what I kind of tried to solve with my latest piece. Yeah. Is that I wanted to focus more on something telling a story. So there's there's a hint of like survivors welcome. What is this? So it's post-apocalyptic. There's like a stop sign, barriers stopping cars from coming in. So mm -hmm. people barricaded themselves in. But why in this location? There's like a ton of interesting questions popping up just looking at this instead of looking towards this scene, for instance. Right. There's, it's, it's nice, but there's nothing adding value to it. In one sense, you created a kind of a pretty picture. You've, you've worked on composition and lighting, mm -hmm. but in the other one, you actually have a story. And so how important is that for students? You know, when you got so much stuff that you got to learn and you got to put in, like, is this something that's expected in a portfolio? Does it make a difference when you look at a student that has a portfolio that, you know, uses this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely makes a difference because all students get taught the fundamentals and how to construct a scene yeah um and getting it presentable in unreal and lighting a bit and they get it to a stage where it looks good but if you got students that can tell a story and have it looking good they take mm -hmm. it the extra mile right and it's always gonna be the interest of artists looking at it like oh yeah what happened here how did that get to be where it is there and it's it's way more interesting looking at scenes where there's actual things happening or things that have happened in the past. Got it. Okay, and then talk talk to me about Europe um, as a as a place to get jobs. I mean, it, you know, is it? I've talked to a couple of people, like digital sculptors, for example, and in Europe, you know, the pay is a bit more regulated um, mm -hmm. than it is here. So, uh, you know, I've heard some comments about that, but you know how. If, if somebody's a, a European student of games and they're looking to get in, like, you know, what's the chances? How does that work? If they want to stay in um, Europe and not come to sunny California. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we get taught in school as well, is that if if you look at the game games industry, like America is still the best place to go generally. Mm -hmm. But obviously it has high densities, of yeah. game dev people, such yeah. as the, it's the same thing goes for Europe, basically. If if you look at the, the map of Europe specifically for game dev, then I think the UK is the best mm -hmm. because they have the highest density of of studios. Okay. Um, I don't know how much you want to risk that bet with Brexit going on, but that's a different story. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we got we got our own political crazy land going on here. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I haven't looked at the map recently, but there's some pretty good tools if you want to find um, places to work in Europe. There's there's something called like Game Dev Map. Oh yeah, I that's probably that. the best best known one. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting one. Um, but recently, with all the changes that ArtStation is doing, like if you want to keep track of, of jobs, 
I just look on the job thing daily if you're looking for a job and there is yeah. tons of studios that that are interesting. They're do they're doing a great job over there. I oh think. man, yeah. Um but yeah. Right. I think I always had this if you're talking about pay, you always had this well, coming from Europe, you always had this disillusion of like, oh man, we're gonna we're gonna earn so much money but you always have to bring it down a notch when we're talking about um european salaries Mm -hmm. but then i have i have a nice salary i get by it's easily and if you really want to do stuff you can still do stuff on the side and have a nice job (laughs) yeah got it i understand that so you know it's it's a good uh, the thing is is like creative assembly they're uk mm-hmm. um you know and i and i see people hiring and and all of that stuff um mm-hmm. but it's easy for i think some of my um european students to get just a little bit worried like do because especially now with the stuff going on in america it's a little harder to get the visas and yeah not quite sure about where that's all going mm-hmm. uh all right um it's interesting because yeah yeah, moving abroad is always a big step. It it doesn't really matter where you come from, and it doesn't really matter what the distance is. To a certain degree, yeah, but for instance, I came from Belgium, and the UK was just across the pond, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, if we were to take a straight flight from near my hometown, it was like an hour, not even that. So... But it's still it's still a different culture, and there's there's different things to get used to. Um, but I think if you want to work for, especially AAA studios, I think you have to consider that step. Unless you're in a in a region where where good game dev studios are are hiring. Right. Okay, got it. So talk to me about the um, the job. I think so. The daily basis. Um, uh, what kind of software are you finding yourself in? Do, in is it ZBrush? Is it Maya? Substance? Mm-hmm. Um, so we use Substance Painter for texturing for sure. Um, um, Maya for the modeling. Mm-hmm. And well, this is this is the, the the weird thing because our studio basically allows us to have our own 3D software. Okay. Because I'm always used to modeling in Maya, but then the actual tools are integrated in Max. Okay. So there's always a step where I need to export my models from Maya to Max and then get them into the game engine. Right. Um, Other than that, I don't really use ZBrush that often anymore, Mm -hmm. although I used to in my previous job because we did a whole lot more... um, actual prop development effort in frontier development for okay. for games like like planet coaster that was just the main thing we had to do just creating props and making making the props match to each other and providing themes for the people that so they can build their own theme parks got it so for more of the prop development that was definitely on your on your tool list, tool belt, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. For props, it was um, Maya, ZBrush, Substance Painter, um, 
and also on Planet Coaster it was it was Didu, and then we mm -hmm. made the switch to Substance Painter. Okay, because it's so awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I love that. And, and if you look at at, at Didu, like it it can't really compete with Substance Painter. Like right. especially even if you're just talking about the the fluidity and the speed of the program itself. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So if uh, can we take a look at one of your pieces now? Um, yeah, sure. One of the things that's uh, kind of on my mind, and I tell you what, guys, um, start ask, start formulating some questions. Let me get a sense of what you guys think is kind of important. But if we take a look at your um, Unreal with the cart in it, I assume, um, mm -hmm. yeah, that one right there. Is this how long ago was this? Nine months. Okay. Now, yeah, um, this is this is an interesting yeah. one because this isn't actually in Unreal. <laughs> I marked that wrong. Um, okay. This is in Unity, and this was like a quick week project, which was, I think this was even done for um, an artist that I did for a studio. Could you do a, a project in one week in Unreal? Oh yeah, yeah, even quicker in Unreal. Oh, it nice. depends. It depends on the scope because. Mm -hmm. um, I could have done so much improvements to to this to this little scene, but it yeah. was getting into Unity because I hadn't used Unity in like four years, I think, by that time. Yeah. So, even even getting like see-through shaders was was something that was fairly hidden in Unity. I was like, oh, I was just lost in that program for the first couple of days. So yeah, that cost me a lot of time on that specific mm -hmm. art test. Okay, and. When when you're approaching a scene like this, how do you start this? What is it? Is it um, do you block all these models out? Are you buying anything from the Unity store? Um, no, this is all stuff that I built. Um, okay. So I start with like quick blockouts, mm -hmm. and then get the scene composition to to a point where I where I kind of like it. So I knew yeah. that I wanted to have the focus on the cart itself. So it was an abandoned card. It had to have a road leading up to it because that makes more sense story-wise. Mm -hmm. And then in the beginning, I had a straight road, which I didn't really like because it didn't, um, it didn't do well in the composition. So I made it a little more bendy towards the camera in the end. Mm -hmm. And I emphasized that with the fences that I added later on as well. So it creates this this more cartoony look. Instead of having the fences just straight on, I had them every everyone every one of them was like slightly bit offset. Um, yeah, basically I created the block out, um, added some placeholder textures, um, did some changes to the composition, saw where I needed some foliage and what I wanted to place in the scene and where, and. Then it was just finishing the textures, updating the composition, some 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 minor adjustments, and just slowly iterating in that fashion. But I think if you want to get quick at this, yeah, you it's it's such a typical thing to say, but you need to fail fast and just be don't be afraid about big changes. And if it doesn't feel right in your gut, it's probably um, it's probably wrong and you have to change it. So just change it if it feels like that, because else it's gonna it's gonna cost you a lot more headache down the road. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Let's take a look at another one of your pieces. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, let's the uh, third one from the right. The uh, looks like it's almost. It's very atmospheric. No, the uh, sorry, third one from the left. I apologize. Oh, okay, that's, that's my dyslexia. <laughs> oh, sorry to point that out. That's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Uh, all right, so um, if we're looking at this now, is this done Unreal? Yes, this is Unreal. How? What is your process for for kind of establishing something like this? I know it's a challenge, so it's a little bit of a longer time period. But how long do you take on something like this? Yeah, this is this is weird because. <sighs> This wasn't really longer than I usually take on my projects mm-hmm. because normally I do a lot of experimenting or I try to learn a new software when I do new scenes. Yeah. And for a challenge, this was done in two months. Um, so it was actually quicker than my usual projects, which was kind of surprising because I'm just going through all the stages and lighting it properly and then doing adjustments to the composition like just took me a whole lot of time um yeah this was this was a really fun one to work on um so i started from let me just have a look Mm -hmm. i started from a concept done by victoria anda Mm -hmm. which is this one so this was the concept Let's just put them side by side. So the first thing I noticed is that that I was going to have issues with displaying this on a horizontal horizontal face. Mm-hmm. So I was I was trying to work around that at some point, but then I realized that in the time frame that I had, I either had to do some Weird trickery. Well, weird trickery is, is is the wrong thing to say, but do too much scene adjustments or have mm-hmm. a weird camera position because I wanted to keep this horizontal aspect for presentation purposes on ArtStation and right. final and final presentation. So that's why I chose to do it still in a horizontal aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. How I, how I approached this was looking at all the pieces that she drew out, um, trying to distill it to its core components. Um, and then, again, trying to quickly block these pieces out um, and get them in in a good state so that I can build like the complete um, the complete building, basically. Mm-hmm. So you can see in the initial stages, it goes really fast to progress. And then it goes slower and slower where I try to tweak the textures, tweak the, the lighting, kind of trying to find that good composition, the good colors, um, doing some post-processing as well. Um, there was just a, a whole ton of, a ton of adjustments that I needed to do to get the scene looking right and to get it more in line to the to the concept art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, it was it was a challenging thing to do in two months um, after coming home <laughs> of full working days, right? And then doing doing another couple of hours each day just to get it to the stage. 
Totally. Along those lines, Ceri's asking, like, how much concept art do you receive when making 3D environments? Um, because that's just one image you basically had. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we're talking about um the actual workspace, um, there is a lot of concept art involved. Mm -hmm. Um, I talk to the concept art guys um on a daily basis almost. And especially when I need some help or if something isn't clear about the concept art, I just go up and ask him. And they're always they're always happy to help. And if something isn't really clear, they'll do a quick overpaint and just show what they want. Um, but I think this is a good this is a good sketch of what you might receive um, from a concept artist, especially with the breakdown beneath it because it shows the material definition. Um, it shows a close-up of all the different pieces that um, you would want to make and um, the different shapes and details that might be involved. So yeah. Okay, and then Kyle's asking, is it better to start with figuring out comp first? I mean, in this case, you had the comp because of the concept, but is it better to start by figuring out comp first or start modeling as many ideas as you can and then comp look for the camera angle basically later? Um, that's an interesting question because I do see people using those boat tactics. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it works better if I, st I always start from an idea. So let's go back to this, to this scene, to the first scene. So I started out with this idea that I wanted to make a factory, but I didn't know how it was going to look at all. Yeah. And then the composition came later because I was um, building structures and then seeing how these structures um, were cobbled together using references of real world structures. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess you could say this uses the second workflow. But then, for instance, um, there's there's other pieces that I knew from the beginning that I want to have this cave where you look to the outside, you see a snowstorm, and there's someone taking a shelter inside of the cave itself. So I knew that it, that the composition had to be sort of restricted to this view, like looking out to the snowstorm. So that's that's what I did. I just I just tried to make a quick composition. I saw what what worked and what didn't work, and um, I just adjusted it over time. Okay. All right. So in some cases, you'll start um, with that kind of comp in mind. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm And in other cases, not. Yeah. Yeah. It's it feels sort of like a half baked answer but mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that i do especially my personal work i always start from the from the idea stage where i'm like oh i really want to do this and then it sort of falls together when i'm actually working on it okay i got that i understand that uh, so linda is asking about foliage which is one of the big kind of bedevilers, I think. Uh, yes. Of, um, <laughs> you know, environment artists. You know, uh -huh. if I can say it that way. 
Um, you know, so talk to me, you know, about foliage and the development of that. And, you know, do you use like uh, mega scans or how's that work? No, no. Um, for instance, by the time I made this scene, mm -hmm. um, mega scans wasn't yet available. Yeah. So I had the same issue. I, I was struggling with, with foliage myself. I didn't know how to um, tackle it from a technical aspect. Right. I didn't know how how the textures were composed or how I should do that, do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's why I set out to make this this project. I didn't know anything about foliage making before I did this one. Oh, great. And it took me it took me quite a long time. It took me six months to get this stuff together because I was learning the workflows, um, trying different things like um, opening speed tree because that's your go-to thing when you're talking right. about foliage. Um, making making the fern leaves completely in speed tree, then baking them down on a lower res mesh and using them. Um, as the actual in-game in-game meshes, but okay. then for the for the other trees, it was just me figuring out speed tree and its thousands of sliders, and <laughs> it was it was a fun thing to do. But um, I do have some I do have some articles, I think, because I I tried to document. Uh, some of the stuff that I was doing in this scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is the stuff that I was using. So for the for the smaller leaves, I sculpt them in ZBrush, okay. and then do the typical bake down workflow like you would use. Um, and then this is this is kind of an unnecessary step, but it made things a little bit quicker. Where I used the the meshes that I set up. I adjusted the pivot to be in the center of where you want your stems to be, okay. um, and then use speed tree to procedurally just give me um, variations of trees. Well, in this case, hostas, um, and then used um, substance painter to to do some of the texturing. And I've set up parameters inside of Unreal Engine so I can quickly iterate on different things that I needed, such as the subsurface scattering um, that I could control in um, Unreal instead of going back to a different program and then trying to tweak it in there and then having, the, having to look at the results in Unreal Engine. I could just do it on the fly. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the big mysteries. And so it's good to hear it took like six months um, to get your kind oh, of yeah, yeah. around it. You know, we have a, a course we have we did with Henry Kelly mm -hmm. on that, you know. And uh, how important is optimization um, versus, you know, let's say, and really what I'm angling for here is in terms of is showing somebody you can do it, is it important that it runs at 60 frames a second or is it just important that you got, you know, some some ferns? And you've got some variety in the shape. <laughs> that's uh, that's a really interesting question because I didn't know about optimization at all at this point. I think, okay. especially when it came to foliage, I was just yeah. figuring stuff out on the go, and it looked nice. It ran a little bit crappy on my laptop back then, but it was it was a crappy laptop, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I remember this. I went to a job interview. 
and they asked me like, oh yeah, um, how is the the alpha overdraw looking on all the foliage? Yeah, right. And I, and I was like, uh, <laughs> alpha overdraw? What is that? And <laughs> well, I didn't get the job, so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. I guess that's <laughs> that's hilarious uh, oh, but you know how important is that now because I'm sure you know for some jobs that's not that important for somebody to understand but but you know it depends if you want to be a, you... yeah if you want to be a foliage artist specifically then you need to know about this but if you want to be an environment artist I don't think it's obviously handy if you know about alpha overdraw and all the optimization specifically when it comes to foliage but most of that stuff you learn on the go and mm -hmm. there's there's people especially when you're getting into the industry there's people that are going to be a thousand times more knowledgeable than you and it's just gonna hit you like a bomb in the beginning and you're going to be amazed by even the simplest things that they try to try to tell you so i think I think you shouldn't be that worried because if you're presenting a portfolio, they look at the quality and they look at how you tackle the workflow itself. So mm -hmm. how do you how do you um, create this foliage? So that is why these breakdowns are handy and that's why they love to see UVs and how you optimize them and how you, for instance, reduced alpha overdraw. But but that's really? actually interesting because we get we get 50 50 on that when i talk to people it's like how important mm -hmm. is topology let's say mm -hmm. but i but i do know that process is like it's a big part of the interview you know how'd mm -hmm. you get this what'd you do here and and that helps people kind of draw out somebody's you know knowledge or lack of knowledge yeah yeah um but how important do you think it is to do these breakdowns today you know when performance of is getting so much higher um i think it's still relevant because it doesn't doesn't really matter how how strong the engines are getting especially unreal and unity there are still going to be limitations to in-house engines and how they render stuff mm -hmm. so coming from a place where you know how to optimize stuff and make it run quicker than it was before is always going to do you well. And if you show these breakdowns, they don't have to be these these long breakdowns where you go over each step. But because this is this is mostly what you do in an interview anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's still interesting. If you if you want to do it, don't don't hold yourself against it. Just do it. Cool. All right, let's check any other questions I got coming in here, guys. Mm -hmm. um, all right, if you don't mind, I would love to get your uh, – and I got just a few minutes before the next class starts. Um, I'd love to get your opinion on some students' work. Yeah, sure. Guys, that's your cue to be posting like mad, and I'm going to head over to where I'm the presenter. Mm -hmm. Okay, you guys can see my screen? Yeah. Should be seeing ZBrush. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so let's close that down. All right, send me some links. 
Kyle, Elizabeth, Laura, Lawrence, Linda, Lewis, Matthew, Narciss, Sari, Stephen. I don't have a ton of time, folks, because I got a, a class um, after this. Uh, but let's let make sure that we get these things moving. So there's one question um, Lawrence he, uh, had that I don't think I got to. Uh, once you've gathered reference, how do you go about breaking down your modular pieces? Um, I think once you gather a bunch of references, it's always good to pick the the best reference that you have mm -hmm. and sort of do a quick and rough color overpaint of like, okay, this is a pillar. This is going to be green. Is that pillar mm -hmm. something that I can reuse in the other parts of the building? Uh, is this a window that's going to be red? And just mark every every different asset in the entire building up and then see if you can replicate those assets roughly along along the other references that you have mm -hmm. or even build those those models that you that you overpainted real quick build those really quick get them in an engine or even just in maya and try build your own stuff and then if you see that something is missing just yeah. complete it yourself got it all right, well, that works for me. So um, let me switch back. So you guys know where to find um, Tim. You can get him right here. Uh, <laughs> and you have some gum roads and some other stuff like that. And you've done a lot of work in Substance. So some of those are sitting right there too. Yeah. Yeah, I also have a blog, which I'm going to start up again. Um, next year because i was okay. running through uh, i was running that through the entire year until i moved okay. and then i basically had to sort out the moving before i could start up my blog again but the blog features some interesting um tips and tricks i try to do that on a weekly basis so i'll uh, i'll probably spread it around once i get that up and running again but there's like already 30 entries i think something like that for you to write uh, no, no, for... Oh, that you already wrote. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it's it. It's like a okay. backlog of 30 things. Sweet. That works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending time and for, you know, talking about your process and, and your no job. Worries, no worries. Stuff I hope you. it was um, helpful. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys, you know where to find Timothy. Timothy, thank you so much. You guys, thanks for joining and thanks for posting your work to get reviewed. Mm -hmm. Progress yeah. equals happiness. <laughs> All right. Take care. Okay. See ya. See ya. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to this. And I want to ask just two things of you. Number one, make sure to leave a comment or rank this wherever you are listening to it on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Really makes a difference in helping us get the word out about this industry and about what we do. Number two, make sure you visit vertexschool.com to learn more about what programs we offer in this area as a creative and for artists who are looking to jumpstart their career and discover a new industry. Again, thank you so much for listening. We're accepting applications right now, so I look forward to hearing from you soon.